Good morning and welcome to Palm Vista Community Church. We're continuing this morning our sermon series in the Psalms. Sermon series in the Psalms. And this sermon series is entitled Worship in Technicolor. Worship in Technicolor. As we continue the sermon series this morning, we're learning from the Psalms how to worship God in every circumstance of life, in all of its many colors, when we're happy and sad, when we're mad and when we're glad, when things are going well, and when they're not going so well. And this morning, we're going to be studying in Psalm 69, and, and our, our sermon this morning is going to be entitled, Cry Out to God. And we're going to be learning with David what it looks like to cry out to God in the midst of difficult circumstances. Um, like many of you, I, I grew up here in South, well, I actually grew up in Central Florida, but uh, I grew up in Florida going to the beach frequently with my family. This time of year, uh, we're doing that a lot with our kids, heading to the beach. And, um, you know, I remember uh, every summer as we'd head out to the beach, every trip to the beach, we'd get this reminder, uh, watch out for the rip currents. Uh, if you've got kids here, you probably have warned them about rip currents. These are uh, flows of water, typically when there's a storm out at sea, but it can be any time that uh, pulls people out to sea. You might be swimming along, everything looks great, and all of a sudden the water's going the wrong direction, and, uh, and very quickly you're very far away from the shore. And uh, I was studying, uh, as I was just kind of perusing the news, I, I came across a story um, from last summer of a family in, uh, on the Gulf Coast of, the, of Florida. Uh, six, six kids, I think, five kids, they went to the beach uh, having a great time, and, and uh, the sun was setting, the lifeguards had gone home, and two of the little boys uh, decided to grab their boogie boards and head out to the ocean for a little bit of fun. Um, parents didn't notice it. They jumped out, were on their boogie boards, and you guessed it, before they knew it, uh, they were sucked out to sea um, some hundred-plus yards away from the shore and unable to get back, fighting the currents and couldn't make it back. They, they called out and they called out. Uh, the parents didn't hear them, but there were a few people on the beach, and, and they jumped in and decided to go out, and these two young women tried to help them, and very quickly, those young women were now stuck out in the same rip current as the young boys. And so now you've got this uh, group of people gathering out here in the ocean, unable to fight their way back to shore. Perhaps uh, you're here this morning and you feel like those young boys stuck out to sea, struggling to get back, crying out to God and desperate for a rescue. And the circumstances in your life have you feeling uh, desperate in the deep waters and that this morning is where we find our psalmist, David. He's stuck out to sea. He's in the deep waters of life, crying out to God for a rescue. Uh, you know, it is Mother's Day, and, and you know, I'm well aware that motherhood is in itself something of an exercise in desperation, is it not? Constantly fighting the deep waters of life with the children and the chores and work and everything that's going on around you. I believe that there's a word for you this morning, moms. I also think there's a word this morning for those for which Mother's Day is a difficult day. Um, perhaps Mother's Day reminds you of loss and disappointment, uh, dreams deferred or never realized, and you feel lost out to sea a bit on a day like today. We're going to find hope this morning in God's word from Psalm 69. God has a word for us in the deep waters of life, he has a word for us that we can call out to him. We can cry out to God with persistence, with patience, and with praise in the midst of the deep waters. Because we serve a God whose character 
is unimpeachable. We serve a God who died for us on the cross. And these, these truths are going to teach us this morning and, and motivate us this morning to cry out to God in the midst of our deep waters. Amen? So if you would, if you have your Bible with you, this would be a great time to pull it out. We're going to turn to Psalm 69. That's going to be somewhere around the middle of your Bible. I'd love for you to have it with you if you do, so you can be looking at the Word as we study it together. We have some Bibles in the back. If you don't have one, we can get one for you. And Psalm 69 is a little bit of a long psalm. And so we're going to be focusing in this morning on a section of this psalm right smack in the middle, uh, starting in verse 13 and stretching to verse 19. And this section between 13 and 19 Uh, David really captures the main themes of the entire psalm in this section here in the middle. And as we we roll into verse 13, uh, David, for the first 12 verses of this psalm, has been laying out for God in his prayer, in this cry to God, the desperate situation he finds himself in. And we read that David, knowing that David is the king of Israel, he is overwhelmed and exhausted. And he's been actively pursued by powerful men who are attacking him, Without cause. These are described as men who sit at the gates. Powerful men. There's many of them. Uh, these would be the judges, the, the rulers, the rich ones inside of David's kingdom. And, and it says they hate him without cause. They've been uh, accusing David of financial crimes, perhaps some financial malpractice. Um, they've been uh, really hate-tweeting about David all over town. Right? So, uh, and and this, this, this smear campaign against David has gone viral. So not only are the rich people at the gates talking about David, but you've got the drunkards who are laying out at the bottom of the gates, and they're singing songs about David, um, you know, all over YouTube. Uh, I don't know. I'm a millennial, so what are you going to do? And and it's gotten to the point where even David's own family doesn't want to associate with him. So David is in a desperate situation. And in his desperate situation, he turns to the Lord and, and calls out to him. So let's read together beginning in verse 13 of Psalm 69. He says this, But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from the sinking mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit Close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. All my foes are known to you. Lord, as we draw near to you this morning and and we we draw near to your word, Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your words today. As we study David's desperate situation and his plea as he cries out to you, Father, would you stir our hearts to cry out to you in whatever circumstances we find ourselves this morning, whether we are basking in the sunshine or desperate in the waves, Lord, I pray that your word would move us this morning to cry out to you fresh, to cry out to you unceasingly, to cry out to you with praise in our hearts because of who you are and what you have done for us. So speak to your people this morning. Open your word to our hearts. Amen. Well, if you've ever been in this situation, um, I've found myself often where I'm, 
I'm in a somewhat desperate situation. I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of somebody I love. Often, it's my wife. And, and so, you know, I pick up the phone and uh, send a quick text. Hey, babe, you know, here's what's going on. No reply in about three seconds. So, you know, I get nervous. So then I make a phone call, right? I make a phone call. It goes to voicemail. Okay, call again. It goes to voicemail again. Call 12 more times. It's still going to voicemail. Uh, you know, start WhatsApping, Snapchatting, Instagramming, Facebook messaging, and somehow she's dropped off the face of the earth and all social media contacts have been cut off. And uh, I'm, I'm desperate. <laughs> and if you found yourself there, we, we realize that in our moments of desperation, we discover who it is that we depend on. How is that? In our moments of desperation, we discover who it is that we depend on because in our desperation, we depend on whoever it is that we persistently pursue. We depend on who it is that we persistently pursue. We find in the psalm that David was depending on God. And we know this because he cried out to God with persistence. With persistence. He didn't stop. He continued again and again, crying out to his God. See, in just these few short verses that we looked at this morning, you can hear David's voice of persistence. Take a look in verse 13. He says, my prayer is to you, O Lord. He goes on, answer me. 14, deliver me. Let me deliver from my enemies. Let not the flood sweep over me. Let it not swallow me up or close its mouth. In verse 16, he says, answer me, O Lord. Turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant. Make haste. Hurry up. Answer me. Draw near. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. David is not just calling out once or twice or three times. He's going again and again and again. God, answer me. He depends on God in our desperation. Who we depend on is who we call to persistently. And so David persistently, time and again and again and again, he calls on his God. He cries out to his God. He turns to his God. He asks his God for help, for resolution, for hope in the midst of his circumstances. And he's crying out so incessantly that we read even in verse 3 that his voice has gone. He's, his voice is growing parched. He's losing his voice. His eyes are going dim. He's been looking so intently for so long that his eyes are, are growing tired and his voice is going away. And, and David is crying out to the God that he depends on. So it is that in our moments of desperation, we discover who we depend on by who we repeatedly turn to in those moments of desperation. Who do you depend on this morning? I know that for me, often in my moments of desperation, the first place I turn is inward. Uh, you know, my background is engineering, so my first uh, response to any situation is to make a table. Uh, you know, Excel spreadsheet comes out, we've got columns and rows and colors, uh, you know, pivot tables and all kinds of things. We're going we're gonna to figure this situation out. You got me, Raphael, right? We've got to make, we make a 14 by 36 table, and we're going to solve uh, what to have for dinner. <laughs> you see, but it reveals something about me. There's nothing wrong with making tables, but it reveals something about me. That's the first and frequent place that I go. And maybe I send off a quick prayer to God to let him know, hey, here's my situation, just keep you in the loop, but I'm going to go figure this out. If you've got anything, let me know. Um, but I'm going I'm to get going on this. It reveals where my trust and my faith and my hope is. Yes, I do. I believe theologically, and I really do believe that God is in control of my circumstance, that he is my rescue ultimately, that he has it in his hands. But functionally, I often operate in a different way. Right? 
And I believe that the reason we, we, we function different from that truth is because we, we lose sight of God as a personal, intimate God. We lose sight of him as a personal, intimate God. You see, David, in the psalm, he's not crying out to some impersonal force that controls the universe. He's not crying out to the universe that it would make things right. No, he's crying out to a personal, intimate God. Notice the language here in verse 16. Answer me. Turn to me. Hide not your face. Draw near to my soul. These are, these are affectionate words of relationship. He's saying, answer me. Pick up the phone. Don't, don't hide from me. Come near to me. He's, he's calling on God for affection, for God's relationship, for a nearness with a personal, intimate God. We see this even in the words that David chooses to refer to God. See, the the name of God there in verse 13, and again in verse 16, you see it in all caps, Lord. Well, that's the personal covenant-keeping name of God, Yahweh, that was given to Moses. It's it's a name that that emphasizes God's preexistence and his intimacy with his covenant people. David is saying, answer me, O Yahweh. I'm sorry. He's saying, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Yahweh. My prayer is to you, O covenant-keeping, pre-existent God, the one who revealed himself to his covenant people. His confidence to come back to God again and again and again with his pleas are because the God he's calling out to is Yahweh. It's, it's, this, it's this near God. It's this intimate God, this personal God. And that's our hope this morning, that, that the God that we call out to in our times of trouble, it's not some impersonal God. It's a God who is near an intimate, covenant-keeping God who loves his people. David, he's frank with God about his issues. He's not glossing over them. He's quite clear with God what's going on. He describes it in colorful, emotional language. He's in the deep waters. His feet are stuck in the mud. He's drowning. He's, he's calling out to God with an immediacy. Respond to me quickly. But he's not calling out to God this way. He's not describing his situation to God because he feels like somehow he needs to keep God in the loop. He's describing his situation to God, knowing that God is well aware of his circumstances. See, in verse 19, he says, You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. All my foes are known to you. All David's foes are known to God. Even David couldn't quite figure out how many foes he had. In verse 4, he says, More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. David couldn't count his foes, but he said, God, you, you can count all of them. You know all my foes. You see, he's calling out to God. He's describing a situation not to let God know what's going on. God knows. He's calling out to a God who understands even better than he does his circumstances. He's calling out repeatedly and incessantly and unceasingly to remind himself of this God that knows his circumstances. He's wanting an intimacy with a personal God. And so it is that we, in both our good times and in our turbulent times, we can cry out to God with persistence because we serve an intimate God, a God who loves us personally and who knows what you're going through this morning. He knows what you're going through. But David doesn't just call out to God with persistence. He also cries out to him with patience, with patience. Notice what David says here in verse 13 right in the middle of this relentless, desperate cry to God. He says, But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, answer me. 
I don't know about you, but if I'm drowning out in the ocean, my cry to the lifeguard is saying, hey, over here, uh, when you get a minute, come on out uh, at an acceptable time, you know. Um, I mean, I'm drowning, I'm going to die soon, but if you would, just add it when you have a moment, you know, when you're done uh, with Facebook, come out and jump, jump in, and give me a hand here. Um, how does David pray this way? How does he say, God, I am desperate and I'm drowning at an acceptable time? Answer me. How does he say that? Well, David prays this way because he knows who the one is that he's crying to. He knows who it is that he's crying to and that the one he's crying to is the one who created the very waters he's drowning in. You see here uh, in verse 13 we read, But as for me and my prayers to you, O Yahweh, and then David says, At an acceptable time, Elohim. He uses another name of God. He's, he's using a name of God that, that points to God as the creator and judge of the universe. Elohim is the name used of God in Genesis 1.1 when he says, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. You see, he says, At an acceptable time, O creator of the heavens and the earth, O one who created the waters that I'm drowning in, come quickly, but you created the waters, and I know you're going to come in the correct time. He knows he's his crying to. Friends, the one who created the very waters that you may feel you're drowning in this morning, he knows you. That is the one we cry out to. We can cry out to him with patience because he's the one who created the very waters that are up to our neck this morning. What an incredible comfort and peace in the midst of our prayers that the one who we cry out to knows us. He's an intimate God and he's the one who created the heavens and the earth. But it doesn't end there. Because David continues in this psalm not just to cry out to the creator God, to the personal God, but he cries out to a God of abundant, steadfast love. See, it's not enough that God is the creator of the universe if he's not on your side. But not only is God the creator of our, of our waters, but he's a good, loving God. We see again in verse 13, at the acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love. And the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. And in 16, he says, your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. David is reminding himself of who this God is that he's crying to. He's saying, God, you are a loving God. You are the creator of the ends of the earth. You're a personal God, but you're a God whose love is unending. And so he cries out to God relentlessly. He cries out to God patiently because he knows God created these waters. And he's for me as a loving, abundantly merciful God. And we see this love in the psalm, and we see this love most abundantly at the cross of Christ, don't we? You see, here David certainly is um, speaking as a private individual. We hear his prayer to God as one who is going through circumstances himself. But this, this psalm in the New Testament is quoted multiple times, many times, as referencing Christ in his suffering. And so David is not just a king who is in difficult circumstances, but he's also a prophet who is prophesying about Jesus who will one day come and suffer the suffering that David is speaking of. You see, Jesus was rejected as David was rejected. More in number than the hairs on his head were the enemies that came against Jesus. Jesus was falsely accused and crucified. Jesus was cut off from his father and his family. He was betrayed by his friends. He was swallowed up by death. Why? So that you might have life. 
so that you might have rescue, so that you might be accepted by God, so that you might be justified before God, that you might be adopted as a child in God's kingdom. He cried out at the cross, Father, Father, do not forsake me. Why? So that you might not be forsaken. Jesus suffered for you. This psalm is a reminder that our God is loving kindness in his suffering on the cross on your behalf and on mine. And so we can cry out to him with patience because we know not only is he a good God, but he's a good God who's accomplished his salvation already. We are, if we are in Christ, our future is secure because of the abundant, steadfast love of Christ. Not only can we hope for him in our circumstances today, but we have hope for him in the future when he returns one day to redeem all his people. And even if the worst happens, even if I do drown in this flood, my God will not let me die eternally, fundamentally, forever. He has secured me in his arms. And so we cry out to God over and over again. We cry out to him with a persistence and a patience because of his steadfast love for us. We can have a calm confidence in our prayers because ultimately our hope is not in this life but in the life to come. But not only does David cry out this way with patience and with persistence, but he calls out with praise. See, these truths about who God is, about the kind of God that he is in his relationship to us, about what he's done for us on the cross, they should stir our hearts to worship and to praise for this God. That is the reason that here David is recounting these things about God. That's That is why David is reminding himself about God's steadfast love and saving faithfulness and abundant mercy. We have in this psalm a picture and a model of what it looks like to pray to God this way. To pray to God and be honest about our struggles, but also be honest about who God is in the midst of our struggles. Again, he's not saying these things about God, his steadfast love, his saving faithfulness, because God needs to be reminded, oh yeah, that's right, I'm a saving God, I forgot about that. Right? God, God doesn't need to be reminded. He knows who he is. David needs to be reminded. And those around David, the one who later will read this psalm like us, need to be reminded. And you know, it reminds me of last week, and Corey was talking about the reason we gather together on Sunday mornings. Why? Part of the reason we gather is that you can hear me singing about the God that I serve. You can hear me singing about the God who's a saving, faithful God. When I know what you're going through. And I know what I'm going through. And we remind each other by our prayers. We remind each other by our songs in the midst of our suffering, the kind of God that we serve. The kind of God that we serve. You see, it's easy um, in both moments of plenty and in moments of suffering to lose sight of who this God is and what he's really like. That he is a personal God. Often we can lose sight of that and we grow cold and bitter or distant. Or that he's a merciful God and, and our hearts grow bitter and angry. But we can't wait, friends, for, for these waters to recede before we start crying out to him with praise. We can't wait. David couldn't wait. We can't wait. We need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded together, corporately and individually, of who this God is. As we worship in the midst of the deep waters. The thing is, when we worship God this way, um, we, are, we are reveling in his glory. This psalm says that, that when, we, when we worship God this way towards the end, David speaks about this praise towards God as a way to magnify God, that we make him large in our eyes. We show to ourselves and to others how great this God is that we serve. And so it is that when we, when we declare who God is, his greatness, his glory, his kindness, his mercy, his intimacy with us in the midst of our suffering, even when we don't feel it, our lives are transformed 
into a living sacrifice and an offering to this God. And even the very waters that we wrestle through, even the very waters that you find yourself in this morning, are transformed when we praise God in our suffering into a worshipful song unto God. The very waters themselves begin to praise God when we worship in the midst of our suffering. Those waters, the struggles, the hardship that you're in right now, the pain and the suffering and the sorrow, it hurts, but can also be unto God an offering in a beautiful praise and prayer unto God as we cry out to him with praise in our hearts. Last week, Corey mentioned that quote that he has up on the wall in his home. It says that life, it's not about waiting for the storm to pass, but learning to dance in the rain. And so it is that our lives are not simply about waiting for our rescue to come, but remembering that our rescue has come. And so we can sing in the midst of our deep waters. So I want to take a moment as well just to address you this morning. If you're here and you've never cried out to this God, and I'm not talking about for their temporary circumstances. I'm saying cried out to this God for your eternal deep waters, for for the eternal situation you find yourself in, for your eternal security before God. See, there's a section in the psalm, starting in verse 22 and stretching into verse 28, where David, acting as God's representative of God's chosen people, he cries out to God that he would punish and destroy his enemies. You see, these, these punishments that he calls out are according to what his enemies have done. And they're just according to what they have committed. And, and, so, and so David, as a prophet standing in God's place, calls out for their destruction. And the fact is, friends, that there's a day when each one of us will be judged before God. There's a day when, when there is judgment coming for each one of us for our disobedience to God. And without Christ, we will be swept out to sea in the ocean of God's wrath. And there is no swimming against that current. And if you're here this morning, if you never called out to Christ to rescue you eternally from the wrath of God, I I encourage you, I I plead with you this morning to cry out to him because he can and he will rescue you. But you alone cannot swim against that current. There is wrath coming apart from the love of Christ poured out on your behalf. He sent his son Jesus to be crushed that you might have eternal life and security and that all these promises about this personal loving God, this God of steadfast love and abundant mercy can be true for you this morning. Because he's a God who loves and gave his own son for you. So I pray this morning that you would, you would cry out to God. Not just for this life, but for your eternal security as well. well as we close, I'm going to invite the band to come forward. And I want to let you know about those two boys and the others who got swept out to see with them. They did make it back to shore. So you can take a deep breath of relief. They did make it back to shore. But they were never able to overcome the current. They didn't make it back because they swam harder, because they followed the right procedure and went parallel to the shore and all those things. No, they they made it back to shore because there was a young man on the beach that day, a young man who did hear their cries and knew better than to go swimming out with them. And he gathered together a crowd on the beach and the crowd linked arms. And it's a pretty incredible story. There are pictures, you can find them, where, where the crowd stretches out into the ocean. And one by one, they brought these young boys and those who had gotten sucked out with them back to shore until they were safe on the sands, and healthy. You see, our hope this morning is not that if I cry out to God appropriately, if I can just figure out this formula of crying out to God with persistence, with patience and praise, that that somehow I'm going to find the strength to overcome the current. 
That's not the point this morning. These aren't, these aren't tools to give you the strength to, these aren't flippers you put on your feet and now you can swim faster than the current. That's not what this is. This is, this is the evidence. This is the, this is the, the outworking of a life that has its hope set in Jesus Christ. See, our hope is that Jesus Christ, God sent his son Jesus to pay the debt that we could not pay, that we might have eternal security. And that Jesus' death on the cross enables us to pray this way. It allows us, as God's mercy to us, to pray to him persistently. Because we can come to him because of the kind of God that he is. To pray to him with patience because we have a God who loves us. A God who knows our waters and controls them. And we can pray to him with praise because we have eternal security in Christ. These aren't more burdens to put on you while you're trying to keep your head above water. These are... These are the gifts of God to you as his child who has been purchased by his blood. And so it is this morning that we cry out to him with persistence, patience, and praise because of the kind of God that we serve. And I pray that you will go home this morning encouraged and built up and envisioned to cry out to God in your circumstances. Not stop at once or twice or three times, but continually. Whether you are in the ocean drowning or on the shore enjoying a good book in the shade. We need to cry out to God wherever we find us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, thank you that you did send your son, that your son was crushed for our sin, that we are, that we are eternally purchased by you. And that we can have a, a calm, uh, collected, uh, fervent cry to you in the midst of our circumstances because we know that, that the trials of this life and the terrors of this life are not fundamentally and finally what finishes us, Lord. Our hope is in the life to come. Our hope is that we have been purchased eternally by your Son. And that is where we trust this morning. That is where we stand this morning. That is the cry that we cry this morning is to you, our saving God, whose love is steadfast and unending. And so would you draw us to yourself this morning? Would you, would you encourage those who are weak? Would you build up those who are discouraged? Would you humble those who are proud? And would we, would we fall on our knees before you in praise in our petitions to you. Amen. Well, I want to take some time this morning um, to, to put this into action. Our worship team is going to play here, and, and we're going to spend some time uh, really applying what we just spoke of. We're going to sing, Oh My Soul, Arise. And, and if you're here this morning and, and you do feel uh, like you are in the water, and you're having a hard time seeing this God the way we described him this morning, I want to encourage you to cry out to him. Cry out to him that he would give you eyes to see his loving kindness. Eyes to see him as a God who is near. As Yahweh, the personal covenant-keeping God. As Elohim, the God who knows and understands and controls your circumstances. And I I believe that God has has, um, ministry for you this morning in his word. So we're going to stand together. We're going to praise him. And if you would like prayer uh, for something in particular, perhaps you really do feel heavy under the weight and you'd like someone to pray with you, I'll be up here, Corey and Al, uh, will be up here in the front with their wives and we would love to pray along with you. And if not, let's take this as an opportunity to apply this psalm and cry out to God this morning in song. Amen? Well, please stand and we're going to sing together.